Do you think it's safe to ask them? Hear me. All you hosts gathered here. Kill everyone now. Condone first-degree murder. Advocate cannibalism. Eat shit. Well, I think we're about ready. Quiet, everyone. Filth are my politics. Filth is my life. From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell, welcome to Astro Radio Z.
Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Astro Radio Z, where we talk about perhaps one of the strangest, most triggering movies I've ever watched in my entire life, <laughs> Greener Grass, a movie that may be the scariest movie I've watched all month. So I want to thank uh, subscriber Hillary for this, her very first chance to suggest something and have an episode based on that suggestion come to fruition. And she brings one of the most confusing, confounding, disturbing things I've ever seen and hilarious things that I've ever seen in my entire life. Mark, are you the same after this watch we just had? I I definitely found it amusing. Maybe not necessarily bend over a chuckle, but it was amusing. It was entertaining and disturbing and a bit frightening all in, in one package. I love films like this because uh, the unpredictability of a film like this is what I really enjoy nowadays because you see so much of the same stuff now, same over and over again, over and over, which, which is fine. Don't get me wrong. That has entertainment if done right. But at the same time, I love seeing people take chances and do stuff like this. And man, they, they just went, they went all out. Greener grass made in 2019 Oh, I seem to do that a lot. Every time we watch one of these movies, I seem to have to exhale quite, quite a lot. Um, Well, you you do that. And then what you do is as you exhale, your thoughts kind of fall into place because they're kind of floating (laughs) and floating around trying to come together. Then you exhale and it kind of is like when you deflate a balloon with a bunch of beads in it, you know, you deflate, then you've got nothing but the beads left. There well, I will go with that. I'll roll with those punches. <laughs> I, I, I will. I will definitely uh, say thank you for attempting to make sense of my lack of verbal skills. And the only way that I seem to be able to express myself is in Glenn Bittner type size, which says a lot. Yeah, those, there's a lot to be said in a sigh. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. No better way can we start talking about greener grass than Vaughn's comment, which is what the fuck was that Same film? film. And I got to agree, Vaughn. What the fuck was that film? So having said that, Greener Grass, made in 2019 by Jocelyn DeBauer and Don, and Don uh, Debute, or however it was it, Labette, Labette, Lube? I don't know how to say her name. I'm just totally ruining it. And they're, they're two comics from the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah. And a lot of the people that are involved in this movie, you've seen them before in various skit shows and other comedies. And uh, this movie hurt me it it hurt me psychically it hurt me physically and it hurt me emotionally it, by the time this movie was done i felt anxiety like i've never felt anxiety before um i i've always said that you know the green room was one of those movies that i felt like in my chest so hard that i thought i had to go to a walk-in clinic or an emergency room afterwards because i thought i was going to have a heart attack this movie the whiteness, the sheer whiteness oh. of this movie hurt my soul because this movie felt too real to me. It felt way too fucking real to me. I've seen these people. I've lived with these people and I just wanted to die. And every passing minute of this movie hurt more and more and more and more. And this movie's fucking genius. So Mark, the movie man, would you like to sit and tell the listeners what this movie was or tell, let's just forget the rest of the listeners. Tell Vaughn, let's, let's bring this back up on the screen so people could be remember what Vaughn's comment is here in the chat. 
<laughs> let me let me preface it this way. Let me frame it this way for you, Mark. What the fuck was that film? I say that as he takes a drink and he almost spits his red wine all over his mic. Well, you do this to me. You you get me to try to uh, you give a synopsis, especially on the crazier films. So let's see if we can um, summarize this. Jill and Lisa are two neighbors in a suburbia hell in which... Every single trope and cliche you've ever seen in every single film of where you've got white suburbanites, where that was they were the joke, where they were not the joke, whatever, are all crammed together into this neighborhood where they live. But Jill's life starts to take a turn as Lisa decides that. Uh, she needs to up her status in the neighborhood over her friendship with Jill. And we watch how Jill's life falls apart as Lisa takes over her life in every aspect. She makes better cookies, metaphorically. She takes her baby. She takes her life. She, uh, Lisa pretty much totally takes away Jill's complete paradise, suburban, whitewashed vision to the point to where Jill finally breaks and reality starts to seep into Jill's brain and she still fights it up to the very end. But at the very end, we do get her seeing reality for what it really is. But when she tries to escape this world of white suburbia where everything is not what it seems, she gets pulled back in once again. Oh, man. Greener grass. <laughs> I did. I, I didn't. I know I did left out the murder and all that. But I mean, that's what it is. Actually, that is what it is. That, you, that is what it is. Nailed it. I had a very visceral reaction to this movie as we were watching it. There in every single person. And it doesn't I don't think it really necessarily has to come from a. a an Anglo-Saxon background, like the the point of view and perspective that this movie is. I think it is making a comment on suburbia in itself mm-hmm. more than just inherent whiteness. But this, this movie in coming from a fairly non-diverse area um, like we do here in Wisconsin, it's getting better, but it's still a fairly whitewashed kind of place. The things that are being said here, you could literally walk anywhere And they are reality. This like people were commenting in the group that, you know what, man, their view of whiteness is is really hard. I'm like, this is my view of whiteness. Like when I go down. okay, so here's an example. This is the only way I can really sit and talk about this movie because the sit and go frame to frame to frame, scene to scene to scene. It is life. There is nothing really in this movie that is speaking towards the narrative. It's more speaking in metaphor towards mm-hmm. the way people are in reality. This movie is is about how silly and stupid and superficial and hurtful and shallow mm-hmm. people are and how ridiculous that lifestyle is before the lockdown happened obviously we all were just having regular ass lives and i have three daughters and they were going to dance classes they went to a local dance studio which was this just this you know is this mama pop place where uh, they had been running this thing for upwards of like 50 years 
So it was like a neighborhood kind of thing where the same people kept coming back, where kids that went there became parents and had kids and their kids went there and the same thing happened. And they all had that, that, you know, very pained expression of we have to be nice to each other, even though we can't stand each other. And we're only doing this out of obligation because this is what we're supposed to do as parents, as opposed to what's good for the kid. We're just going to force them through this, basically a money laundering scheme because nobody, no kids actually learn how to dance at this fucking place. You just go (laughs) there and spend hundreds of dollars and then show up at the dance recital and go, well, I paid for that. The kids are literally shouting their steps on stage and not even doing them. And they're running around and we're supposed to go, this is great. Here's a couple hundred more dollars. (laughs) I have no (laughs) thoughts about this, Mark, at all. (laughs) Tell us you you truly feel, Terry. Oh, God, it is. um, it, It is like this movie, the experience of taking my kids to this dance studio and sitting while they're doing, and and this was not my choice because I mean, obviously introduce your kids to as much variety in their life as possible. It's good for them. Um, But when something's not working and they don't want to go anywhere, listen to them, listen to them and help them and mold them towards and guide them towards the place where they should be, as opposed to just saying, well, we got to continue doing this. They've always done this. This is that's what the point of this movie is. It's just like people have been doing certain things over and over and over again, and you can't break from form. Everyone's going to judge you. Everyone's going to think, you know, oh, my God, what's wrong with this person? So you walk into this dance studio and you hand your kid off for a half hour and they go through the motions. You can hear them in these. And please, I'm not trying to be sexist with this. This is just the reality. I was the only man sitting in a waiting room with a bunch of dance moms. And the conversations they were having, that first scene where our characters, Jill and Lisa, are sitting mm-hmm. there with their boba teas, mm-hmm. looking at each other with yep. pained expressions like they're best friends, but they mm-hmm. actually kind of hate each other. And they're not seeing they're not saying this like they're not outright saying, you know what, you're wrong until later when it actually starts being vocalized right. in a very hurtful and direct kind of way. Um the conversations, the shallow, just completely innocuous, pointless conversations hurt in the way that that's completely superficial, shallow, innocuous conversations I had to sit and listen to in this waiting room for my kids dance studio. I like I every time I would take my kids from that and go home, it would take me an hour to wash away the the amount immense amount of it just loathing I had for sitting there and having to experience a bunch of people that don't like each other, try and just have small talk. Oh, it just, it's, Oh fuck. That whole diatribe that I just went through is literally how I felt watching this movie. It was like this whole movie is me sitting in that dance studio waiting room with a bunch of white dance moms that really haven't had to do much in their life other than just be moms Mm -hmm. and listen to their pointless conversations on their day-to-day stuff that just doesn't matter that just who cares why are you even filling the air 
with that nonsense. Why, 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 why? That's how I felt watching uh, Greener Grass because they took that idea and ratcheted up to 167 <laughs> in such a maniacal and insane way that I was laughing at something that makes me so angry in real life. Yeah, I, I, there are so many situations in this film that I grew up in the inner city of Milwaukee. That's where my parents, you know, that's where we grew up. Uh, and, and I can't, and it's not, you know, that's not me. That's just where I live. 37th and Galena at the time. That is, that is inner city of Milwaukee, you know, so we, we grew up in a very diverse, I grew up in a very diverse neighborhood in very diverse schools, but we would go out to my grandparents' college, uh, a cottage in Delafield. And you learn very quickly, it's a different group of people out there when it comes to kids and parents and just suburbia than it was in where I lived, you know, in Milwaukee, where we had more diverse. So, the, yeah, the conversations like that are featured in here, like you were saying, very prevalent parents one upping each other with their students, their kids and what they do. Or with looking, huge smiles on their face, like they're trying to be nice. With huge smiles, but secretly they're cutting them down, going, you bitch. You know, those, they're openly, like, critical of each other, but passive aggressive. This film has so much of that, that, that privileged passive aggressiveness in it that it, it was, it was very reminiscent of many situations we found ourselves in when we would go to parties out in this area. My dad knew some people who, you know, were well off. And so we'd go to their parties and you'd hear him talk about it. And it was, it was these people in greener grass. That's why I'm watching this going, this is so true uh, in so many aspects. Yeah. Ratcheted up and maybe amplified, but not by much for some of the situations that are in this portrayed in this movie. Not my mom, let's put it this way. My mom was at one of those parties where there was a lot of, as we put, hoity-toity, a mm. lot of people that are like are in this movie who were talking about their kids. They're, they, they were so full of themselves, they didn't realize when my mom bullshitted them saying that her son was going to UWSP for marine biology and he was working on a development for a new rebreather for scuba diving and this guy bought it, like legitimately bought it because he was so full of himself. He didn't want to admit that my mom was feeding him a line of. <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of that stems from, too. And this is what I saw. And I'm going to keep making this reference because it, this movie was a reflection of my experiences is, is people literally making everything that their kids do about themselves. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's so much of that in mm -hmm. this movie uh, pertaining to kids, pertaining to life, pertaining to relationships with other people, other family members is just how superficial and, and, you know, selfish and self-centered mm -hmm. all these people were at all times. It's hard. It is. It was so hard. To keep a smile on your face to at the jokes that were being thrown at you a mile a minute in this movie. And they were jokes. Oh, yeah. There, there were some laugh out loud stuff that was directly, but most of it was pretty diabolical. Like it, it was like it, these were people that were pointedly trying to pick apart 
the the you know the cancer of suburban life yes. and did it in such a pointed and perfect way mm-hmm. that it be, it became too much like real life <laughs> yeah it did it really did it this type of humor now i watched some upright citizens brigade not a whole lot uh but i watched a lot of kids in the hall yeah type of humor and some of their skits that they had reminded me of the you know some of the the humor and angle in here were yes yeah, some of the bits laugh out loud but some of them you're like <laughs> and some of them you're smiling at and some of them you're like you know that's I, i've met that person i've met these people <laughs> the, that hurts my soul and like that, that that joke hurts my soul it hurts the, so bad and the yeah the portrayal hurts because you're like there's actually people out here there's kids actually going through this i mean let's face it we don't blame Bob at all for being the way Bob is in that family. <laughs> I mean, granted, he takes it to the extreme, swearing right. at what he calls his parents and whatnot. But you look at the way uh, the the Lisa parent, the, you know, the Lisa who's the one's trying to move her status from suburbia. You look at how her and her husband treat the kids and the family in that. And on one hand, you're like, ah, oh, that kid screwed up. On the other hand, though. There's a reason why the kids, I mean, yeah. these, these, these parents, you know, they're always looking above the kid's head at what people are looking at them rather than paying attention to what the kid is or who the kid is. They're looking at above his head at everybody else. Are they looking at us? Where do they stand? You know, even to the point of making divorce a trend, you know, when when the one woman is happy, she's divorcing, you know, because it's getting her noticed. It's getting her talked about in suburbia. She, she comes out and tells her kid, make sure you tell everybody that, you know, I divorce. It's like, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, she's doing that because it's getting her noticed. Clout. Yeah. It's clout. It's, it's, it, her name is on people's tongues. Yeah. You know, never mind the fact she's got a daughter named Citronella. <laughs> Dude, I heard that name. I busted oh. out laughing when I heard the name Citronella. I just, I just busted out laughing. There was so much shit in this movie that made me laugh so fucking hard. I think one of the best bits of this movie, and there's multiples, was that there's this one character, this little boy that uh, is, you know, the son of our lead character, Jill. He's been wetting the bed. He's been wetting everything over and over again. He has a tough time focusing. He's babied. He's always looking for attention at all times. He listens to the mom, doesn't listen to the dad, doesn't want anything to do with the dad. And eventually, at a birthday party, he falls in a pool and then becomes a dog. And then he's his dad's favorite thing on earth. Mm -hmm. And his dad keeps expressing over and over again, but he's so fast. And every time he said, but he's so fast, I was cackling like every single time that happened. So there's just like, there's a lot of really funny jokes in this, but I I think a lot of it is just, you know, the absurdity comes wrapped in metaphor, like the whole, the dog, the dog thing. And I brought this up in the group watch as we were watching it. After he turns into the dog, this kid, I'm like, wait, was he a dog the entire time? Were we not noticing that maybe, and this is because, you know, you know, these people, you know, the people that call their dogs fur babies Mm -hmm. and treat them like their own, their own kids. That's, 
It's not a thing. That's not true. They're dogs. They're your pets. But you know these people that treat their dog, they're, that's my fur baby. I took it as that. When he, what did you think about the, you know, because this is one of the ridic- most ridiculous things we see in the movie other than the other character that puts a soccer ball in her dress. Then all of a sudden it drops. She lifts her dress and drops and the, and the soccer ball falls out and they act like it's her baby and they actually give it her name what? and take family pictures with it and do. <laughs> I mean, what do you think of, you know, these these spins on these thoughts of, you know, people making things into something higher for clout so people kind of sympathize with them like they know what they're talking about when it comes to kids yeah um i i'm not sure i i he either was there's two ways you can look at it i think maybe he was a dog um because it's all about what the perception if you follow the jill character which is what this film is actually being told from her actual perspective for most of the film yeah we we move away from jill but for the most part jill's perspective and it it almost felt in a way for lack of a better uh comparison pleasantville in a way to where the kid falls in the water and he comes out and he is a dog now now he could be a dog all along and and jill you know she sees him who for what he really is and everybody else though, you know, plays that. Oh, well, yeah, he's a dog now and they just roll with it or the dog, him being a dog could be a metaphor as in the kids changed now to be a daddy's boy rather than the mommy's boy as well. And she sees the kid as a dog because the kid's no longer hers. Now the dog is man's best friend. So the dog is now her husband's best friend you know, in that transition as well. So, I mean, there's a couple of different ways you could play it, which is this whole film. You could play yeah. these a number of different ways. I, I am with you. It is a very strong argument that he may have been a dog all along. If uh, for me though, with the way the rest of the uh, suburbanites react towards the dog, you know, all of a sudden acknowledging, Oh, he's a dog now versus a boy. It's hard to say um, whether or not, you know, their perception changed because of Jill saying, wait, he's a dog now. And then everybody goes, oh, he's a dog now. You know, again, playing along with nobody wants to admit it's different. You know, once she calls her kid a dog, everybody else just goes, oh, he's a dog. So, you know, just like everybody called the dog a kid, everybody would admit that she, he's a kid. So I think there's two different ways you could play sure. at it. You know, uh, I, I think maybe what they were maybe going for more is dog is man's best friend. And suddenly the dad is loving the son and the dog really doesn't. He still is by the mom, but he really is more difficult for the mom. Tr- her trying to get him to school now and everything, whereas the dad is like all into the kid because, yeah, this is, you know, what he wanted. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting metaphor. I mean, just like the beginning of the film where she gives her baby away. They're having a conversation on a bench during a soccer game. And the, the one friend looks over and says, Oh man, I really love your baby. And then Joe goes, Oh, well, would you like to have it? I have another one. Would you like to have my baby? And she literally gives it away. 
and what they were doing is showing the sheer absurdity that rather than cause a conflict or say no to her best friend, Lisa, she is more than willing to give away her baby rather than protest and say, sorry, no, because if she says no, well, that could cause friction and that could hurt the relationship. But not only that, other people will talk if she says no. Well, did you see Lisa asked for the baby and she didn't give it to her? You know, <laughs> I mean, that's what they're kind of playing at with their relationship. So it's that absurdity. It's that perception. Just like we get to the very end where she says, have they always been playing soccer on, on grave sites? And everybody's just like, oh, yeah. You know, it's like perception is really blurred in here between what is real, what isn't. And it's making that statement in suburbia of how people in and it's not a generalization. We have all met these people. These people actually exist in the world to where they status in the neighborhood, how people perceive them, not their kids, them. You know, everything reflects on them. And so that is such a main driving force that they are willing to ignore, look past, or even just roll with whatever is presented to them mm-hmm. rather than potentially hurt that image they think people have of them, which or stand up or question while right. other people are flat out telling them, right. well, I don't agree with this. She is just just so worried about that perception. She will just go along with it regardless. Right. And you have Lisa, who's a predator, who feeds off and takes advantage of the fact that Jill just wants to be light. It just wants to be that person, that life she wants, you know, and she'll do anything here. Have my baby if it means that we're going to be on better ground. But then when she asks for it back, Lisa's like, oh, well, that hurt me. So then there's this passive-aggressive, abusive relationship between Lisa and Jill. In fact, there's a lot of abusive relationships with, again, which was striking a little bit close to home with what is happening in the real world with certain entities out there. The same way, that same discussion, the same wording, all of that, while it's being done in this light comedy, satire, thriller, whatever you want to call it, some of the best comedies are the ones that are windows into reality. And this is a window into reality, a hard window into reality. Hard. It's unflinching. They made this film and didn't give two shits who they were going to offend. And in fact, if there's people that had that problem with the film and the way people are portrayed in it, well, then they should start looking back at them. Yep. I I couldn't agree more. And Hillary, the one who the person that actually suggested this movie to us, she writes, uh, she just wrote in the comments. That's the problem with women in particular. Jill is like an extreme feminine archetype. Some of us are conditioned to never say no from childhood onwards and never cause problems. That is Jill in a nutshell. She even gets kicked out of her house. Yeah, literally, she is out for one night. One night, folks, uh, after this crazy woman comes in and and literally starts cooking using all of her utensils. The what is it? The uh, bagger killer, the bagger killer the, yeah. that's been killing people around town. She leaves to go try and get somebody else's baby. 
and to sit on the toilet of her, the house that she grew up in, which is one of the most ridiculous things that I, I, I laughed pretty hard. Can I come in and sit on yeah. the toilet? <laughs> really good joke. But anyways, she comes back and literally doesn't say anything as her friend just says, oh, by the way, that's not your house anymore. It's mine. I moved mm-hmm. in. Oh, well, I don't think my husband would like that. Oh, he's moved in too. He's the pool boy. I mean, pool man. And she says nothing. What does she do? She finally sees gravestones and flowers on the soccer field, gets up and realizes what a sham her entire life is, but then right. sits right back down. Well, because, because she's- honestly, she's, she's just never going to stand up for herself. And I think that's you, you really nailed what this is. This is like an encapsulation of white suburbia for white women. Yeah. Like this is this is such a, a condemning and damning portrait of what this life is and what this life holds that it's it's hard oh, to yeah. watch. It is so fucking hard to watch. Now, Mark, what did you think was probably the best aspect of this film? Um uh the best aspect of this film is the fact that it's a hard look, it's unflinching in all honesty. I think it's the fact that it's putting these things out front of you and not apologizing. And the thing is, it's being made by white people, no less. I mean, it, the cast in that, you know, I mean, it's them showing a reflection of this life out there and what suburbia women particularly go through. And I think that's that's one of the best aspects of this is its unflinching look because of its portrayals to where if people never encountered suburbanites like this, they would probably laugh a lot more and go, oh, that's so ridiculous or whatnot. So, you know, people who may not have interacted at all will get something a little different. They will probably very much laugh at the ridiculousness of the situations. It's so over the top. And it, because it's it, really it is. funny. It is over the top. It's hilarious. Uh, one of the most laugh out loud lines I loved <laughs> was the quick one where they talk about this horse that was buried in the back of <laughs> uh, Jill's, Jill's yard because they put the swimming pool in. And one of the running gimmicks is her husband put this filtration system in where they don't need chlorine anymore. He can drink the water straight from the pool, which if you've ever gone to someone who has a pool, they will talk about the filtration system yes, they will. and how clean the water is. You could drink it. I've heard yep. that seriously that line told very seriously. every one of us you go oh well that pool you know that that filter is working so good you know you could drink out of that so they put it and they literally interpret that with this guy drinking pool water taking uh, but- huge jugs that he's constantly drinking <laughs> out of saying oh i just need to go get some more pool water he makes a popsicle out of the pool water and he's licking it like a regular ass popsicle <laughs> He brings a flask of it to the restaurant to pour. He goes, oh, I don't want that water. This is the best water. And on one hand, you're laughing, and on the other hand, you realize what they're saying. Yeah, I've met those people who, yeah, that pool filtration system is awesome. You know, I'm very proud of it. No no flack on them, but at the same time, 
there's people like that, you know, but my favorite, one of my favorite jokes was really quick. They're talking about this and then they're like, well, maybe, maybe your neighborhood was your, your house specifically was part of Pangea. Right. And they're talking about Pangea for like 30 seconds, these three <laughs> women. And then the one woman closest to the priest who is at this birthday party says, oh, Pangea. And he turns around. What's Pangea? Stop that. We're Christian. <laughs> 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 he didn't want so them. good it's so just little, good just a little dig at religion of don't talk about Pangea we're Christian oh my god I, I think if you broke this movie apart yeah. by gender the men in this movie oh. are absolute wet fucking noodles like they don't matter like that none of them have a, a spine that let's let's talk about you know Douglas Lisa's? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I got to bring it up because I, I forget the two. That Nick is Jill's Nick, husband. Nick is Jill's husband. Lisa lusts after Nick. And you have Dennis, who Dennis is, is Lisa's a, husband. Exactly. And Dennis is this character who absolutely adores his wife. Oh, God, treats yeah. her as good as he can possibly treat her. But she is as cold as ice to him. Like they don't have sex that she she looks down at him constantly. He takes care of the kids, never questions, never does. And she sits and then goes and tells all of her friends how, you know what? Oh, we have a great life together. Just a great life. Even though she flat out tells Jill, oh, yeah, we never have sex, but it's Mm -hmm. good. It's okay. We're taking a break. It's perfectly okay. So the, the men in this movie are are as ridiculous as the women are because they every time a joke is said the men got to have that really <laughs> and then they got to have that handshake you know that handshake oh yeah you know, oh, that, know handshake that handshake where the guy where a guy and I couldn't get over the outfits the 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 salmon you know full salmon outfit with shorts mm. and they're on that soccer field and those two are looking at each other's like <laughs> and they give that handshake to I've seen that i've had to be a part of that and it is repulsive it in is. every way it is and it's just like it goes across you know the, the men are just complicit in all of this nonsense as the women are they don't stand up for themselves uh, a, a, until it's far too late and it's oh my god it is so hard to watch this what? movie because it's, you've seen this so many times in your life it was tough and i think that's a lot of the visceral reaction that vaughn was having because he's just like what the fuck is this like what, do we need and amy was watching this mm-hmm. with me in the background and the entire time is like derek is this movie almost over <laughs> why are you watching a movie about people you hate about people you know you hate because she's she feels the same way i do Mm -hmm. like this movie was painful to sit Mm -hmm. and watch if i gotta say anything like what was the best aspect of this movie it's the humor Mm -hmm. because without the humor and without the uh the complete absurdity of the situations this movie would be a would be way it would hit way too far at home for me like Mm -hmm. i don't know if i would watch more than like 10 minutes of it because I wouldn't, I, I didn't like a single character in this movie. Mm-hmm. You can't like a single character no. in this movie. There's not, no way. Because hey, you're not supposed to like the characters. The, nope. the, 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 this is not a film to where you're, you should, you know, some films you're supposed to find, you have that one character you're supposed to connect with. 
there's not a single character you're supposed to connect with. This is a window into something. It's a satirical look, but there's a lot of reality to it. But you're not meant to like these people. No. This, this, that's not the point of it. What you are doing, and in all honesty, up until Jill decides to do what she does at the very end with the one child that was living in her childhood home with her other siblings and that up until that point, I was kind of rooting for Jill to have that window of reality and realize what a shit fest she was actually living in. And I was Mm -hmm. kind of hoping they were going towards that. No, but, but I mean, it it didn't last long, but I mean, it was kind of hinted at, I'm like, okay, you know, she pulled, she gets, everybody has braces so they could have perfect teeth, you know, and she removes the braces, you know, she's out, just her hair is not done at all. You know, she just, and, but you realize that she has this behavior so ingrained to her, she can't change you know, even when it, the reality is facing her black, blanket right in the face, just right there in front of her, she still in the end thinks she needs a kid. She still in the end thinks she needs to be with these it's people. It's what she's been conditioned to do. Right. It's, it's what she's been conditioned to do. And I think without that tinge of humor, which mm-hmm. the humor is so absurd in this movie. It is. It's supposed it, to be, though. It's so absurd that it's. It's perfect. It was mm-hmm. the best part of this movie was how absurd this humor was alongside the visual aspect of this movie. This movie is basically a cartoon. It's mm. like it's kind of like take, you know, the technicolor aspects of maybe some of the 50s movies Mm -hmm. like singing in the rain and stuff like that we have hard primary and pastel colors and they're so oversaturated and everything is so angular and so perfect the way the flowers are displayed the way that the hedges look like perfect blocks and people are dusting the hedges it just everything is laid out and so clear and so crisp and everything cuts in the cinematography and the art direction and the soundscape did you notice the music in this movie were mostly nursery rhymes mm-hmm. like if you sat and listened to the 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 piano yeah. yep so it's just like everything is so meticulous about this movie and the craft of this movie they knew exactly what they were doing and mm-hmm. nothing was left to chance with this mm-hmm. thing so the the humor in the craft of this movie just like will overwhelm you to where i think Upon subsequent views of this movie, if you can even stomach subsequent views of this movie, which I don't think I can. I honestly don't. It's a little too real to me. There's probably so much you'll get upon the second or third view of this movie. It's just overload. It's sensory overload and it's thematic overload. So those were like, to me, the best aspects of this movie. And I think it'll win most people over. It's Mm -hmm. It's it's such a fun movie. I liked I liked there was no shadows really portrayed. Everything was mm-hmm. lit in every room. Everything was just lit. There's like no ratio right. to anything. There it is very it is flat. Flat. The, yeah, it is a flat. I mean, even in in the night scenes, there really isn't. If I had anything to say that it was necessarily bad, I don't necessarily think they needed the running thing of and I know why they put it in there but the beggar murderer uh, was the only thing to where it added a little bit to it but at the same time I'm like uh, you know where they went with it I don't know if it was fully needed 
this is just a hypothesis and yeah. obviously let me know if you don't feel this this is right or i'm going down a wrong path it's this idea that there there's an actual horror out there in the world mm. as opposed to their lives that is so fraught with actual horror um that they can't see that it was a it was like a visualization it was an actualization of that there is actual real world horror as opposed yeah. to the hell of their lives Mm -hmm. that's how I took it. And the reason why that would even be included in there. Yeah. And I can see that. I can see that that adds that little extra perception and it does help add to the, to Jill's character of her complete submissiveness to suburbia for lack of a better term. You know, uh, when she leaves the house, when this killer is, it's, this is clearly the bagger killer in her house and she mm -hmm. leaves, even though, you know, the bagger killer is insisting that she's Jill but again, it's minor because, yeah, that even has a has a has a point, has a representation. It's not saying that the film is perfect, but I didn't really have anything that I went. Uh. You know, there was nothing. Mm -hmm. There was no moments like that in this film to where I was like, oh, I wish they didn't do that or, or hadn't done that because I I feel anyway. And I could be wrong. I got what they were going for. Mm -hmm. And for this type of film. It's not made for you to really go to a Ebert site or a Rotten Tomatoes and go, this is 86% fresh because this is this good with this. You know, you're like, that's not what this type of film is. Right. It, it's not made to be put on a rating scale necessarily. It's not made necessarily to say, oh, well, you know, if they would have juxtaposed this to the. No, no, this is just this satirical window in the reality that many of us it does hit close to home and you're glad the humor is there i think yeah. if there's anything and this is not really in the movie i think this would have worked better as a shorter thing mm -hmm. almost like a twilight yeah. zone episode you know like a 45 minute to 50 minute episode of something as opposed to an hour and a half long film because i did start to feel at that hour mark and at the hour 10 mark like, man, I really want this to wrap up. Right. Well, and that's the one thing. It's so well crafted and they get their point across so well. It makes me want to see the short that it was based off of. Mm -hmm. uh, because in the credits, it said it was based off of a short. Because, yeah, you get to the point, And that's the whole thing, though, is we don't really have a, a true growth of the character. So when you get into the feature length, I can definitely, I'll, I'll agree with you on that, that if you don't really have much of that growth, you do start checking the clock after an hour because you're just like, yep, I get, I mean, I get it. It's a okay. lot of the similar you things know. over and well, over and over again, which not, aren't necessarily bad. It's not no. necessarily bad. It's just a bit much after it a is. while. It, so. it, it, it is. I mean, you know, the, th the third or fourth time she asks for the kid back, you're just like, yeah, we get it. We we get it. You know, even even with the water gimmick, you know, him showing up when after they got divorced and and, and pouring the water into the tub, you know, and if talking about finding the kid naked when he's a dog now. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, I mean that to that point. Yeah, it the, it does run a bit long. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, I just felt like it just needed to kind of like I've already heard what wrap this has up, to say. Yeah. Let's wrap this up. So um, in conclusion of this movie, I'm going to give this an absolute thumbs up. This was a blast to watch. I had a lot of fun watching this super funny, even though 
this movie hurt. It really fucking hurt. Like I had anxiety in my chest by the end of this movie. And I don't know if I'd ever watch this again, but I would recommend this to almost everybody, literally almost everybody. I, I had this conversation with Amy after it was done. Cause she was just like, why, why would someone watch this? And I'm like, you know, this isn't really necessarily for us because mm-hmm. we get this. We hate this life. We hate these people. These are people we see and we complain about all the fucking time that how, how phony these fucking people mm-hmm. are that they're that just, Hey, a part of this is in all of us, and there's aspects that we all need to work on as people to try and be a little bit better about these kind of things. But I am just like, you know what? These are for the, the people that this movie is about. Like, they need to see this shit. But then she's like, well, they wouldn't understand. They don't. They would just see like, oh, why is this so stupid and silly? I don't get this. Mm-hmm. So I think this is just like this would fall on deaf ears to most of the, the 80% of people that this movie is about. You know, so I don't know who this is necessarily for. Maybe it is just for us to sit and like point fingers at people. I don't know. What What do you think, Mark? Who is this? Who is this movie for? You know, <laughs> it's those people like us who don't like the people that are portrayed in the film. Like you said, we will laugh at them. Those who are portrayed in the film aren't going to get it. Who is it for? I think it's for all aspects of those people because you're going to get something different i think it's it's one of those to where they're hoping that that 80 percent people that will watch this that it's actually about that you might get even a few people that it, it'll cause them to reflect on you know i mean even a couple of the conversations i heard in this film i thought back to go Oh, fuck, I've had that conversation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I, and I've heard that conversation. I've been part of that. And it made me reflect. So, uh, you know, if anything, pull the veil back for those people out there. And maybe one or two people's eyes will open. For those of us who poke fun and poke fingers at those people and laugh at them, it, it makes us reflect, go, well, you know, there are still aspects, like you said, in all of us. And it's going to hit one of those nerves eventually in this film. They hit a lot of nerves and I guarantee you, you're probably going to find yourself at one point where, oh, yep, I was in that situation. Yep. I caught myself saying that exact thing. You know, one thing I will say, uh, if you don't mind, I just backtracking really quick. They do an interesting thing with the costuming in this film in that in the beginning, the couples are wearing matching colors. Uh, Lisa and Dennis are wearing matching colors and Nick and Jill are actually wearing not the same pattern, but same color scheme, red and blue. As the film goes along and as Jill's life starts to deteriorate and she pulls away from Nick, their clothing no longer coordinates. Yet Lisa and Dennis, their clothing still does all along the way because Dennis is always with Lisa and he's devoted to her. As Jill and Nick pull away, their colors and clothing change and the style that they change. And I, I think that's deliberate in there. And it's just something oh, yeah. that I, I noticed with it. So absolutely. Um, Hillary chimes in says, uh, having been raised and uh, LDS in Utah, this definitely represents parts of my childhood in a way that, that certain adults behaved neighborhood. Women would become unhappy or unhinged so that they would get heavily medicated by doctors until they assimilated again brackets for the record i'm out of that environment now and brackets 
On the other hand, my distance from this situation and the way my sense of humor works fits with this film like a glove. The more absurd, relentless, and inexplicable something is, the more it may... Oh, cut out. Oh, it looks like it cut out there. <laughs> the, the more it make, and, and I think I agree. Yeah, it's, it's the absurdity of this yeah. situation because too many of us relate with this. This is like a movie about the white experience, mm. about about the way that none of us can be genuine for some reason mm-hmm. we all have to try and act like everything's okay but nothing's okay and we can, yeah. we've been conditioned to live this way so do you do you recommend this movie mark did you like this movie oh absolutely but again i i love weird shit yeah. um i i i absolutely because this is something that this is why I watch so many films because you run across movies like this that take chances are unapologetic and doing something different yet poignant and making a a, a point, a message, you know, unapologetically too. They're putting this out here. They made this knowing it's going to offend people. They made this knowing that, and they didn't, they still went forward with it. They still put it out there because they felt it needed to be presented these ideas and the, this absurdity. And yeah, I would fully recommend it for people awesome. to watch. Awesome. Well, I actually went over to Facebook and Hillary's comment did continue on. It's it, it, let's start with the last sentence again, where it sure. says the more absurd, relentless and inexplicable something is, the more it makes me laugh. So I found this uncomfortable and hilarious, like if Monty Python and David Lynch had a baby and I could not agree more with mm-hmm. that and a lot of that is the auditory cues and the awkward pauses that sit and accentuate the surrealness and the oddity and the hypocritical nature of the situations that are yes. at hand now she yeah. continues on i apologize to anyone who were mentally emotionally and physically injured by this that wasn't my intention at all especially derek now hillary you don't know me that well we've just recently come uh, you know acquainted with one another but <laughs> I do like to play things up a little bit. I have been called a little bit of a drama queen when it comes to some of this stuff. So I am playing it up. This didn't, I'm not going to have to see a therapist about this movie or anything like that. So uh, she goes, hope the, the laughs made it worth it. May all your wounds heal. Well, I don't know if the wounds of being a white male are ever going to heal, but <laughs> this movie, I will, I will survive and I will live on past this one and i i thank you for recommending this because i enjoyed it immensely mentioning david lynch is spot on oh it's 100 percent david lynch i mean you don't have body horror in here but the spirit of like existence is is in this film i think <laughs> david know, lynch or overall message isn't like i've never considered him like a body horror director sure sure but his, uh, the whole point of a lot of what he's trying to showcase in all his movies is hypocrisy mm-hmm. and what is lying beneath the surface, yeah. the reality of what's oh. lying beneath the surface. I, I stand corrected. I was thinking Cronenberg. My apologies. Yes, David Lynch. This is more definitely David Lynch since uh, I've watched Wild, was it Wild Palms? He did he do? No, he did. He too? did Blue uh, Velvet. And Blue Twin Velvet. Peaks. That's what it, there you go. Twin Peaks. Thank you. Um, I thought it was Wild Palms too. I, I I, Wild too Palms, I think back in the day was was kind of marketed as David Lynch light. Like after okay, Twin Peaks had come out, then they put Wild Palms out. Okay, they, maybe it was kind of like riding yeah. the coattails of it. That's what I'm remembering. But yeah, definitely in that style of of 
Twin Peaks and and those films of Lynch for sure. Uh, that surrealness, that just offness to where you realize that this film may not necessarily be taking part in the reality we live in, but it's a window to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes, absolutely, if that makes sense, it's using this kind of surreal, amplified world to reflect on the real world, and it definitely has that spirit. Yeah. holes on your property do they whisper at your children do pants wander in these holes and never return that ain't no problem we filled those right up and ask us about our ongoing maintenance plans if you got reoccurring hole problem it ain't uncommon in this area clean slate concrete 115 dogwood road sasser georgia or call us at 229-336-6669 Welcome to the Bitch Bay Carnival Sideshow, the greatest show you'll ever see. Ten live acts, all under one roof, each one crazier than the last. (laughs) Come right in and see the show. See Electra, the living dynamo. She'll shock you right out of your seat. (laughs) Come see the terrifying tigress. The strongest woman in the world. (laughs) Step inside and catch a glimpse of the rubber band and you'll see him bend right out of shape. 
See the death defying Starbucks act and <laughs> Hello? See the death defying Starbucks act and many more all inside under the uh... <clears throat> See the death defying Starbucks act and many more all inside under the boardwalk here at Okay, hello? Who's there? <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Congratulations, you scared the shit out of me. Who would even... Joe? Or... Diane? Oh, come on. What is this? Pick on the drama major day? You know, just because I went to college doesn't make me first of May earn and learn. Or maybe I'm just talking to myself. Hello? Hello? Okay. What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? No. No! Okay. Hello? Who's there? What is this? Pick on the drama major day. Welcome, Beach Bay Carnival Sideshow Electric Day. Yeah. Electric Day, Napo. Step inside, who's there, rubber man? All under one room. Come right in and come right in and see the show. Electra, the Electra, the Dynamo. Sandbox, Boatbox, Rubber Man, Tigress, the Death Defying Dynamo. Beach Bin, Boatbox, Dynamo, Carnival. Electro Carnival and many more. See the Dandelion Act of many more, many more, many more. Thank you.
Listening to Astro Radio Z. Oh, the dumps in June ain't like perfume. Deep in the heart of Jersey, but it's my state. I think it's great. Hey folks, Vaughn here. Another Pink Theater. How's everybody doing? Tonight we're going to do 1981's Female Teacher in Ropel, which was originally covered by Podcast Orgy Castle, um, episode 9, I think, if I remember correctly. There's no trailer for this film, so I'm just going to go right into it. Um, see, so this film was directed by Shunguro Nishimura. Nailed it. Um, who is best known for stuff like, um, you know, out of the 103 things he did as a, as a director, um, the, the flower and snake films, a sister to be sacrificed, which I don't know if is a a sequel to a wife to be sacrificed. Um, is it high school teacher maturing, which is another really weird film, a kind of a combination of pink films and pornographic films, at least softcore pornographic films. Um, most notable of this film and, and the flower, the snake and flower films. Um, he worked predominantly from, uh, let me see here, the kind of the start of the whole thing in 1966 up until the end of pink, until the pink genre kind of lost its footing in 1987. So this is near the end of the overall um, kind of genre. And they're still pushing it. And that's the great thing I love about this genre is that as pornography started to kind of make its gains in Japan, um, you still had these exploitation directors making these really rough, fucked up exploitation films. Um, and this is one of them. Um, so the cast is... I'm just going to do pretty much just one... One or two people from the cast: uh, Junko no Inoipa and uh, Miki Yamajina. Um, Junko plays a woman named Sairi, uh, or the female teacher, and uh, Mika Mika Yamajia plays Renko, or the high school girl. Um, so, film starts with the two of them, um, our teacher character, grading papers and kind of getting things done while. Uh, her student is waiting for her because they're going to take private she has private lessons with her um, for English Um, our you know we get introduced to another teacher who is who is going to marry um, Sherira Jinko Nabayuki's character 
um, and we get to watch a little bit of Nookie there that they have um, through the eyes of the student. Our student goes outside to kind of practice her schooling, falls asleep on a bench, wakes up to a leering drunken bum uh, who then attacks her. Our teacher character comes out and stops this, but ultimately gets assaulted too, tied up and dragged into an all, um, I guess to a, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? The kind of stage room, I guess you can say, the um, you know the drama class, um, and gets put on a table. She gets her clothes ripped off as this drunken bum is kind of leering and squeezing her tits. She pisses herself. He, like every man, you know, laps it up like it's you know Perrier, and rubs it all over his face and her legs, and then and then assumes to assault the living living shit out of her. Um. All the while, our female um, student and the piano teacher, or the piano tuner, are watching in a horror, but are, are not willing to do anything because they're afraid that it will be even more severe for her if they try to stop it. After the rape has happened, the two people come in, clean her up, bring her back to her apartment, and let her sleep it off. She comes back the next, you know, back to work the next day. Um, meets with her au pair. Uh, they go back to his place that night. As they're about to have sex, she has a PTSD moment and, you know, cannot go through with it. The next day after that, our piano teacher slash tuner um, brings old uh, Shiria home to his place to introduce to her a whole new fresh hell that she'll be dealing with until she becomes cleansed enough to be his wife this movie 70 minutes and it goes by like a fucking bat out of hell because you really can't linger in a film like this you can't let the audience sit and think about things for more than a couple seconds because they're just going to get bored you have to keep kind of hitting them in the face with these very aggressive very fucked up sexual images um, to kind of keep them interested because a 70 minute movie, you know, could be very short. It could be very boring. Any movie could be very boring. A two and a half hour movie can be very boring. Um, so he brings her back to his house and she goes, Why are you taking me here? He's like, Well, I want you to, you know, I want to enjoy our honeymoon. And he, she's kind of perplexed by this. She willingly downstairs in the basement. He explains that he's renovated this place for her and it's renovated into the form of like a small apartment with a kitchen. In a living area, a bedroom, and a shower and bath, um, and toilet. He then laughs maniacally as he closes a, he hits a button on a wall, and a gate comes down, pretty much sealed the hearing in there. He locks the door with a golden lock. She screams for her release, and he does not do nothing. He then comes back with a tray of food. And as he's trying to, she's trying to get answers. All she, he wants to do, all he wants her to do, is eat the food before it gets cold. She violently smashes all the stuff on the ground, and then attacks her, shackling her arms behind her behind her back. We then cut to a scene of him pulling out a tray and putting different contraments on it—a tr- a, a, a bowl with some kind of clear liquid, a large syringe. A thing of either KY or petroleum jelly, 
and a couple of a, a, a porcelain toilet, portable toilet with a lid. He then drapes a leather, um, I guess I got a, a leather blanket over her bed in the room, drags her over to their bed, ties her, binds her legs to the to the bedpost, ties her up, kind of sitting it's pretty a doggy style, so on her knees, ties her arms behind her, um, still shackled to the bedpost, fills the syringe, lays her 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 ass and rectum. Oh, with a bunch of petroleum jelly and slowly pushes the plunger into her ass. And you have this kind of reaction of his kind of gleeful smile and very kind of pleasant about what he's doing and her kind of uncomfortable, um, you know, very nonplussed about what's happening to her. Uh, and this is the point in the film where... I mean, I was kind of already in it because I was like, well, this is fucked up. Like, this guy's clearly fucking crazy and he's taking this unwilling participant into his kind of fucked up sex games um, to kind of cleanse her, to make her, you know, to make her um, clean enough to become his wife and la 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 la. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. like, you just, you want her just to hang herself in the fucking room with the next day when she get, when he gets home. Because he's clearly left enough things in the room, but she's too strong of a woman that maybe if she just kind of plays along with him, He'll be able. To, she'll either a be able to escape or b she'll be able to be let go because of just some kind of thing. Because he's that crazy, right? <laughs> you know, and you've already been through a hor- horrible rape. Why not let a guy fucking just completely, uh, you know, torture you sexually for a handful of weeks? Anyway, um, as he finishes off the plunger, she wants to go to the bathroom. He says, "There's no shame here," and he pulls out the porcelain portageon. And puts it underneath her. And he slowly waits while smoking a cigarette for this to happen. She sque- she squeals and rides and, you know, is completely un- uncomfortable as her stomach is filled with uh, all this liquid. He then kind of decides to dip his face closer to her ass. And is then shocked to be sprayed with shit. <laughs> Which you can definitely tell from this scene that the, the character, our our participant here has never done this before he's had this in his fucked up mind and his dreams for years and he's never been able to do it to anybody and now he's being able to forcefully do it to someone and the reaction on his face is fucking classic to the fact that i had to rewind it three times because i laughed every fucking time i saw it (laughs) like just fucking and then he pulls the the pot up and it sprays rest of the shit into this pot and she he is covered in shit it's just hilarious like chef's kiss um we then cut to him cleaning her on the floor of the bathroom which is you know lathering her up and feeling her up as he's doing so and her with this kind of bemoaned face um of just kind of like you know she's not really wanting to be here uh and he kind of explains some more of his fucking you know his logic and his thinking which you just go, oh, he's clearly a cuckoo bird. Um, and you're better off dead, <laughs> probably, to be honest. Um, we wake up. We, 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 we cut to the next morning where we watch the boyfriend of our female teacher eating his breakfast. He gets a tape in his mail slot. He opens it. No name, no nothing on it. Puts it in his VCR. And he's shocked to find that his girlfriend or his, fi- his fiance is tied to a bed 
having her private parts shaved by someone he cannot see. He is shocked by this, but also very pissed about this. We actually get a scene later, a couple minutes later in the film, with the female student asking if she's seen, if uh, this guy has seen her, and he is just very bitter about the situation. Um, Unlike normal men... (laughs) Who would go, okay, what the fuck's going on? Why am I getting these weird tapes? Who the fuck is doing this? I must find out. I must find out where she is. You know, and kind of going on the kind of the hero's journey. He becomes this bemoaned, bitter fucking little prick. Uh, <laughs> that kind of tells the, um, the, the the student to not worry about it. It's not his. It's not his problem anymore what she does with herself. Um, and we should just leave it better off alone. Our thank God, our student is the more heroine of the time of the two of them, because she then decides to go exploring, finds out that maybe the piano teacher or the uh, piano tuner—they don't really explain to who, who he is. You know, we see him at the start of the film tuning a piano and then playing it. Um, so he works for the school system in some way. Um, has kidnapped our female teacher. And she decides to break into his house and watches on a closed-circuit television that he has in the basement, um, him kind of accosting her. (laughs) We, we, many of the tortures we get to watch, we get to watch him tie her hands above her head with a, with a ratchet system that he has on the the ceiling of the, of the place, tie her legs, you know, you know, spread her legs out, tie them down. Um, force her, force him, you know, him forcing her to be um, pleasured with a vibrator in the vagina, in the vaginal, and the anal canal. Um, scene after that, we have her tied to a chair where he is forcing her with a funnel to drink cups and cups of milk. Which I don't know where that goes. <laughs> like, I, I know what he's talking about in the thing, and you're just like, oh my god, okay. And it's just gross as shit, and she's barely able to kind of hold it down and she's spinning it up and it's going all over her body and it's gross um our female student kind of breaks into the house starts watching this stuff and accidentally drops falls in the chair our you know our our assailant goes up and finds her attacks her and ties her to a chair and forces her to watch continue watching what she what he's doing to her and He's only trying. He's ultimately trying to break the will of our female teacher, um, so she can kind of feel that she he is, she's cleansed enough, so he can actually finally have sex with her, right? And at some point during the film, when the female, the little student, becomes like a more willing participant, um, there's this whole scene where he gets his like leather gear, this kind of like leather outfit that for her, which has a cutout in the the crotch area that you can clearly put it like a dildo in there is kind of like a um like a strap on but he puts this the dildo in in reverse so it's constantly it's in her so anytime she moves it kind of moves with her and fucks around with her he has this kind of contraption where he ties her to it and it has a dildo that he slowly twists with a knob that goes slowly deeply deeper and deeper into into her pussy um this was not a film that I, I... The thing is with the other films we've done so far is that the female protagonist is kind of the strong-willed woman. And she uses sex and sexuality to kind of get what she needs. Um, and, and we've done one other film. I can't remember the title right now. 
where it was pretty much just this sexual perversion going on. And this film is kind of that same way, but you can definitely tell it's it's got a higher budget because it's definitely shot on film, but it was shot in the early 80s because it's so, so direct-to-video marketing market hadn't had a boomed in the in Japanese a V cinema hadn't popped up yet um it would be maybe two or three years later that everything would get cheap and we would be doing all of this on VHS or at least we'd be shooting on a film and deliver and releasing a direct to video um you know this film is definitely not for everybody like unlike the you know, um, and and the thing is, this is another modern film. So this is modern for '81. There's no kind of Edo, um, kind of samurai fucking time period to it. Um, and it's definitely the kind of, it's not you know not pinky violence or Nakatsu Roman porno. This is straight up just torture and you know rape for seventy minutes, right? And it ends with a really bleak fucking ending. Which I was kind of expecting, but I wasn't expecting the ending we got, right? You know, kind of a, what I expected these films is that either our protagonist or our main female protagonist would have killed herself at some point near the end of the film after our, you know, our psychopath thought he had won, or our psychopath would have accidentally killed himself, you know, falling on something, landing, slipping, breaking his neck, impaling himself, you know, very violently to death. Um, but what we get is a very, very bleak ending for all three of our participants. Um, you know, it delves deeper and deeper. The fact that the young woman is able to, her will is broken very quickly within a matter of hours instead of a matter of days or weeks um, that our female teacher is. It just shows the kind of perplexity of, you know, age and whatever um, and the stamina of, of people just living. You've had more experiences and whatnot. You can kind of deal with bullshit better, I guess you can say. This is my own fucked up uh, opinion on it. This film isn't roughly available. It must have been released on DVD at some point because I do have a, a screener, like a scan of it, like a, a rip of it. So it must have been released on DVD at some point. Um, there are other films and kind of this, you know, there's like none in Ropel and like... Um, which I think came out the same year, maybe, or maybe in the 70s. Um, this rope torture, there's female teacher in front of, what's that title? Uh, uh, a lot of te- a lot of f- female teacher in front of the students. Um, there is, like, female teacher, dirty afternoon. <laughs> like, there's a lot of films where it's just, like, female teacher. And then, do, 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 there's Zoom in the Beaver Book, which is a film that the actor and the main actress in this film was in, which is probably another film that she's more well known for, um, you know. But when I see Rope Pell, I expected more kind of rope bondage in the film than there actually was. Um, yeah, she does get kind of tied to crosses and she gets tied up, but it's nothing as extreme as I've seen in other Japanese films of the same kind of concept with the word rope in them. Um, when I suggest you perverts watch this, sure, why not? <laughs> You can probably go online and find this anywhere, any of those kind of like, you know, torrent streaming sites and stuff like that with good subtitles, like I had. Um, but yeah, uh, big thank you to Derek Carey for letting me do this. Um, I took a couple months off and I feel really out of practice, but I hope that these continue. And um, yeah, if you'd like to listen to me talk about other genre film and 
my life in general, you can check my podcast out at motionpicturemassacre.wordpress.com. And until then, goodbye. This is Astro Radio Z and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes and want to become part of the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z and become a monthly subscriber to have access to over 100 plus bonus episodes of content. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z. Dear listeners, is another episode of Astro Radio Z. Just in case you weren't aware, we reopened the doors to the Astro Radio Z Patreon and are going forward with new episodes of not only Worst Movies Ever, but Ass Monster. So, if you missed us on Patreon and you missed those bonus episodes, get over there at patreon.com forward slash Astro Radio Z and become a subscriber. Until we meet again, my dear friends, I hope you're well. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and I'll speak to you soon.
good shit, man.